we've done now a couple current event episodes so i think it's good to kind of give updates on things as they occur despite the fact that these aren't really as they occur for most of our listeners they're yeah. several months later and we're it's still several months late enough. on some of these too but anyways <laughs> so i guess i'm starting this off then with some updates i know it's a cliffhanger i'd be wondering too if it was something that was going on the first update I have is on the Nova Scotia mass shooting, which if you go back about, I don't know what it'll be, 10 episodes from when this about airs? episodes. Yeah. Entitled, What Are Those Horse Boys Up To? The Gab- Gabriel Wartman case. This one isn't a huge major update, just letting you know kind of what's going on. There is a public commission of inquiry right now for the mass shooting that had been put together following the protests of family members and the community for more accountability after a statement was made that there would be no rigorous review, which I didn't really understand that statement, that there wasn't going to be a rigorous review of what had happened. I don't know why. Yeah, I think they just mean like the actual details of that day weren't going to be rigorously reviewed. I think they're looking more into information from before that day maybe in any event this is all just leading up to a report that is set to be released i believe in may or at least a preliminary assessment of may of next year uh followed with the entire report coming out later in the year yeah so this is just kind of bureaucracy as usual slowly proceeding forward i find it pretty interesting though they put together a commission it's officially titled the mass casualty commission oh interesting and and it's been using Its legal power is that entity and has filed almost 50 subpoenas to several organizations, including the RCMP, um, CBSA, which is the Canadian Border Service Agency, and Community Services, in quotations for those not watching me live right now, which interacted with Wartman. The commission is working independently, doing its own investigation and collecting its own evidence rather than using work that's already been completed by... For example, the RCMP. The yeah, because as we learned from that episode, you really can't trust them. Yeah, which is kind of cool. I'm interested to see what they find, though I'm sure nobody will find any wrongdoings by the RCMP, no matter what. The commission has stated that they will continue to subpoena anytime they feel agencies or institutions have information that they require to do their work, stating that no fact is too small. And the commission is led by a former Nova Scotia Chief Justice, Michael McDonald and is scheduled to begin hearings next month and an interim report is expected by next May and the final report is due by 2022. And that's the update that I have for you on that. They made a commission and they have a report that they're doing and they're doing some subpoenas in short. So I just made that longer than I needed to. The next update I have for you is on Stephen Donziger. Is that how you say it? Yes. Donziger. And I do believe in the original episode, I do mispronounce the name as Donzinger, but there's no yeah. N, so it's Donziger. Okay, so we're correcting that on this episode as well. <laughs> so anytime you hear Donzinger, when you go back and listen to that episode, just like white it out in your mind and think Donziger. Yeah, because at this point, it's just too far along to actually edit. And that's that's a hard Oh, edit. yeah. <laughs> um, so you'll remember Donziger from episode 10, the Ecuador case. And as always, go back and listen now. If you've not listened, then come back here for the update so that you get it immediately. And we so, will always wait for you too. So don't yeah, worry about that. Yeah, we will wait here. Like right at this moment for you to come back. Unless you're live, then we won't. No, we wait for no one when we're live. What was I going to say about it? His ruling came out? Yeah, yeah, it came out a little bit ago. We're just updating now. Also, Ecuador case is a really good case. So I highly recommend going back. Don Ziger went to court this past July 26. And we should have done this update probably sooner. But it is what it is. So this Actually, is... will be coming out perfectly for the follow-up part of it, I do believe. Good. So then we'll update that one in like six months. So this is almost two years that he had been under home detention, which is also known as house arrest for the layman folk of his contempt of court, which is the issue of refusing to turn over his laptop to Chevron for discovering evidence in a nutshell. Go back and listen to the case because obviously I'm not going to, that that was your recap. He was found guilty on all six of his charges of contempt by U.S. Federal Judge Loretta Preska. He was found guilty after all of that that we went over in our episode. 
The preceding Judge Preska notes that this has nothing to do with any responsibility Chevron might have for the pollution in Ecuador's rainforest. And Don Ziger is now facing the possibility of a six-month jail sentence. So is it he gets found guilty and then he goes back for sentencing? Yes. And this is completely outside the actual case itself as well. This is kind of like a I was just going to say, because literally in that sentence, I was just thinking this actually has nothing to do with what he went to court for in the first no, place. No, but this is why he's under house arrest. So yeah. there is the entire Rico case that's going on mm -hmm. about him masterminding this case in yeah. Ecuador against Chevron, which... In that case, Chevron subpoenaed him for his records he was holding on his laptop. He said, no, I have other clients' personal information on here. And they held him in contempt of court for that. And that yeah. was what this trial was for, which he was found guilty. So I wonder when the actual, and it's not something that I actually inquired about in my mind no, while I was writing this. It's on delay while this gets taken care of. So what if he does end up facing prison time or something would he then it would be like anybody dealing with a court case through i guess so jail i guess that makes but sense. it's only six months that he could serve at most and my guess is the judge here actually didn't give an opinion on the sentencing time so i know donziger's opinion is that there should be no time served or yeah. it should be this time he has already served under house arrest should be i was just gonna say that. yeah because it's been well over six months. Yeah. And um, also, he's likely to appeal whatever ruling is here just because yeah. he, he does feel that there is bias and the decision maker here should recuse himself from the situation. Well, so. what, like we've seen in all our episode, corporations talk. Well, these aren't corporations. These are the justice system, but the justice system has many of the same issues with it. Yeah. But in any event, I do believe you have notes there that this is going to be a live webcast court date for his sentencing it's set for october 1st which is actually really good we can set that yeah up or it'll maybe be right link close it up. when this is coming up yeah if you're interested so we can link it up for you it's being done via teleconference open to the public for watching a federal judge in manhattan agreed on thursday so he fought in what i was looking through he fought to have this televised or recorded somehow because people can't essentially attend it in person and he says that the public is interested in it and especially up until now it has not been webcast and it he's has been, been disbarred yeah he has been disbarred at least from all the articles i've read i don't know when that happened though i would love to read that article oh i didn't see anything on that i guess he's been disbarred i don't know where he's practicing fully i know he has a new york bar license but you would likely have more he likely has more licenses so i don't know if they've all been taken away or just one interesting interesting okay so he he had a requested and then from what i gathered appealed for this to be either live on zoom or something um it looks like the judge finally granted his request to have a teleconference to allow interested spectators to view the proceedings remotely don ziggers lawyer ronald cubby said he was pleased that the public will be able to listen to the final chapter of what he has called this chevron produced horror show i would be interested to see that just back to what i was talking about he's facing the possibility of a six-month jail sentence which will be we'll i guess we'll see that verdict on the first we might it depends on whether or not the judge comes with an opinion already oh, and then if he appeals yeah. okay and then if he appeals and it is likely if the judge doesn't come with an opinion already written they're just going to hear submissions as to what each side believes should be oh, the this uh takes a long time yes I and feel the like entire time everything will. else is delayed i feel like this person will i mean good play well not really because he wouldn't i don't just forget I said that. So the judge said that Don Ziger had repeatedly and willfully defied court orders and that at stake here is the fundamental principle that a party to a legal action must abide by court orders or risk criminal sanctions. The judge Preska also says it's time to pay the piper. Feel like that being said, she may already come with an opinion. Um, Dodd Sigurd said, it's a sad day for the rule of law, for our democracy and for our planet. 
The whole thing was rigged. It's a sham. I'm frankly embarrassed for my country that this has happened. End quotation. And he also said that he will appeal any decision that may be for jail time, I guess, is what's missing from that. I think he... I think he's going to appeal any decision because even if it's like time served, you're done. He still doesn't want this on his record as. Oh, yeah, because I guess he got disbarred. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. In any event, he will be appealing. And this brings it to a level above where he has been claiming there's rampant Mm. corruption and collusion. Okay, that makes sense. I'm glad I'm giving the update and you can clarify. (laughs) Okay. Preska's judgment explicitly denies the lawyer has been the victim of a conspiracy. However, quote from the judge here, contrary to Mr. Don Ziger's assertion that his conviction was preordained, the court finds him guilty on each count for one reason and one reason only. Mr. Don Ziger did that with which he is charged, period. I mean, technically he did. Yeah. But it's really like... They're not taking any gray area in it. Yeah. Because there's no denying that he did it, but they're not... To me, that's a gray area. And you would think that the court would take that into consideration when it's a breach of like client... Solicitor client privilege, yeah. Yeah, that that's exactly what I was just going to say. Which is the highest standard of any privileged relationship in the court of law. Exactly. So you wouldn't think that that's a great area to begin with, but I guess yeah. it is. And they're just not even having any of it. Having it, yeah. It's not a pragmatic approach. It's a very black and white literal interpretation of the law. Yeah. So that's my update. Do you have anything to add? Just that it is very good. They got it online. So if you want to see how the process is going, yeah. and specifically how things are being argued on both sides, because this is a very like, there is no objective view of this story from either side. Like if you're listening to what Chevron says and what Donziger says, these sound like completely different stories. Yeah. So if you want to see it represented, at least how they're going to be representing it from both party in their absolute most aggressive way. You're going to hear it here. And if you've never seen a court procedure happen, it's going to be very different than what you'd expect from what you've seen on TV. I think this is a great experience to see it. So <gasps> That's a good point. Yeah. I'm going to watch it. It's going to be a lot more boring than you'd expect if all of you've oh, seen no. it on TV. But especially because it is a sentencing hearing. So they're just trying to figure out how much time he should get for this. Oh, okay. So they shouldn't really be calling witnesses or submitting too much evidence. Well, I may try and watch it. And we'll see how it goes. And we will post it to all the social medias so that you guys can all take a look too. It will be interesting. Also, if you're not, please follow Stephen Donziger where you can. He has a lot of social medias out there as well. I remember one of his websites came down, but one was still up. I just need to find which one is still up. I have shared his... Um, I actually just logged into Instagram for a second there to share that we're live on. Oh, yeah. And he's one of our stories, eh? He is. He was the top story and now it's gone. But yeah, he has. I think there's a few Instagrams that he has. There's one to post awareness for his fight and one that's straight him, I think. Yeah. And if you would like to donate to his defense, because he's fighting this all on his own, you can go to the website donzigerdefense.com, which we will post up as well. Yeah. So that's our update. And I think it's your turn to bringing the music. Okay. And we'll bring it in three, two, now. From the unexplained to the mundane, come join us on a journey to the fringe. Hello and welcome to Journey to the Fringe, easily one of the top 10 podcasts you will listen to today. Unofficially, I think. No, I, I th- I'm confident in saying that. I am confident okay. in saying that. I will even give a guarantee. If it is not, please <gasps> contact us. Oh, you're right. And yes. Okay. Please contact us if this is not true and we will be sure to compensate you for your time. Yeah. With another podcast. <laughs> yes. We will give you the next episode free. Yeah. <laughs> I... M. Taylor. Here with me is Chelsea, the listener on this yeah. episode. Yeah, that's me. I might say yeah. some stuff. You might say some stuff. And yeah. we're going to go over some history that I think is just kind of like general knowledge. But if you know me in real life, I kind of say everything's just kind of general knowledge. 
So it might not be. But today, if you've seen the episode title, we are going to be talking about space spying. I just and learned this. Mm-hmm. You knew the topic. You just didn't know what that I didn't know what it for. meant. So I came in knowing nothing. Yes. How we're going to break it down is from an American perspective. It's a generality that covers the span of about 65 years, looks at technology where we're at, and specifically an interesting mission that's been going on for years that nobody really seems to know about. <gasps> I'm intrigued. So we're going to start it off. Right here at the beginning. At the beginning, there was nothing. Oh, no. <laughs> and then there was some type of bang. I thought it was that was everything. <laughs> we, it's about space. We got to start somewhere. Anyhow, skip ahead about 13.5 right. okay. billion years. <laughs> I don't know why I automatically thought of the Bible. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's someone like me. I mean, actually, we don't know if there was nothing. <laughs> there there might have been something, but it wasn't. It was pre-Big Bang, so it's unknowable. It's ineffable. Anyhow, okay, so we're talking Big Bang. Okay. Yes. Anyhow, we're right. gonna we're gonna skip ahead to a, a random date. I'm gonna pick October fourth of nineteen fifty seven. Chelsea, do you know what important historical event happened that day? Did we go to the moon? We did not go to the moon, but you're on the right track in space. A satellite? This is the first satellite to <gasps> monkey ever... into space. This is the first satellite to ever reach orbit. On October 4th of 1957, the USSR, the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, managed to get the first man-made object into space and orbiting Earth. What was it? It was Sputnik. I thought there'd be a monkey. No, it sounds like a big deal. In my research, I didn't actually realize this. It was actually kind of something both the US and all their allies knew was coming because 1957 was like the year of the earth or the year of geology. And they had a almost partnership where they were both going to put a satellite into space to study the atmosphere and get pictures from above so that they could learn more about everything going on on the planet. This this is Russia? Russia and the US. Well, sorry, USSR. But wasn't this during the Cold War? Yeah. But they had a partnership? Not necessarily in a partnership, but more of an agreement that they're both going to put something into space to try to study the okay. uh, geology of Earth. Okay. I, I guess um, I couldn't understand that, but not. Yeah, because everybody knows. Well, sorry. I believe it is general knowledge that most people know the Russians got into space first with Sputnik. Okay. I think okay. I knew that. Yeah. And Sputnik, it was only 23 inches in diameter. It basically just put off a radio signal that you could follow and you could kind of learn more about the atmosphere and how it traveled through it. See, that's not common knowledge. 23 inches is not very big. No. And it only actually worked for three weeks. Oh. That's how long its battery life was. I'm getting a lot of facts here that I had no idea about. And then it went dormant and it orbited the Earth for two more months before it fell into the atmosphere and broke up. Oh. But in that time... It gave us a lot of insight into the atmosphere and it orbited the earth 1,440 times. Mm-hmm. Like that's pretty intense over a three month period. That three months. Okay. That is, I don't know how fast you orbit the earth though in regular days, let alone 1957, something well, that's 23 inches. We basically orbit the earth in one day. What? <laughs> we go around the sun. Yeah, but we go around the earth. The Earth spins. Oh, right. <laughs> okay. okay. I thought we were like a moon or something. For yeah. A second. Actually, okay. yeah, there's another thing about that, but we'll leave that. Anyhow, like I was saying, this was actually, there was some type of informal agreement, not a partnership. I misrepresented that, but to study geology from space. The U.S. came to launch their project known as Vanguard on December 6th of 1957. And I have an old timey video for us to watch. America's first attempt to launch a satellite. A six and a half inch sphere weighing just over three pounds was checked out by scientists and declared ready. A great wave of advanced publicity focused attention at Cape Canaveral, Florida for the launching of Test Vehicle 3 of Project Vanguard. A preliminary to the scheduled launching of a 21 pound satellite in March. What happened is already unhappy history. Another setback for the United States in the race into outer space. Here are official Defense Department films of the launching of the 72-foot missile, a loss of thrust, and fall back to Earth in split seconds. 
classified. Neither the satellite program nor our missile development is affected, said Acting Defense Secretary Quarles. It's only an incident in the perfection of the Vanguard satellite system. Can I just make a commentary first that I love things narrated like that? It reminds me so oh. much of watching like Gilligan's Island and stuff like that. Just the way that they're narrated and with the music like that. Yeah. Just old school. I really like the transatlantic accent. That's like yeah. how they talk in all those old tiny like. I radio. like the whole of it, like the music, the music yeah. in between, and the announcer. They all talk like that, and I and I especially like, like when they're all those old like info videos of like ducking cover, and, yeah, like explaining to kids like why not yeah. to do drugs in the fifties. Yeah, they're yeah. fantastic. And yeah. like Gilligan's Island, it's all like I don't know. They're all kind of like the same era. Yeah. Okay. What did we watch? <laughs> So we just saw the Vanguard just explode on okay. its attempt to get into space. Okay, so that, uh, immediately nice. on the U.S. trying to kind of keep up with the Soviets, they fall behind by this rocket exploding. Was it manned? No, it was getting okay. a satellite into space. Okay, so we're okay. It doesn't set them back too far. On January 31st of 1958, the U.S. actually launches its officially first satellite into space. This is Juno. And at this point, both superpowers in the world have their satellite in orbit. And most importantly, neither of them are for spying purposes. These are both for geological surveys. But as things proceed, it becomes clear that what we're going to be doing with space is getting out of the reach of everybody else. There's kind of two ways to spy. I'm going to put it really generally. Either be as close as you can to learn as much as you can or get as far away as possible just to peep at people. <laughs> okay, I guess. And when that rocket exploded, I do think it scared the U.S. a little bit about going the satellite route with it. And most importantly, they had what is known as the U-2. Chelsea, do you know what a U2 is? Yeah, it's that band that nobody likes because they put an album in everybody's iTunes. Yes, they're very invasive, always watching you <laughs> like that. Much like what they're named after. It is a spy plane that was commissioned in what? 1955 that flies at extreme altitudes. It is manned, though. It was U.S. technology that they decided to go with for spying purposes. What? I did have a question here. Was it always their intention to put something into space to spy? I think no matter what, when you discover something new, your original idea is how can I use this to an advantage over other people? True. And not only that, but the time that they're putting it into space, I guess. Yeah, because they are in the middle of the because, Cold War. And Russia had just put their first also, thing in into yeah. space and they're but lagging. Fair, as far as I can tell, both first satellites into space for both parties have absolutely no spy purpose whatsoever. Okay. Like they are both to study both the atmosphere and the ground. Officially? Officially. And at this point, they are so old that like records have been revealed from satellites after these ones like that are spy satellites. Okay. So I would be very surprised if it came out that actually these things had a spying purpose. Okay. I guess the technology is also so young that how would they have harnessed it to spy? We will get to that. The U.S. does proceed with the U-2 planes for quite a long time. I think they're still actually used for certain purposes. They still have it? Yeah. Like, I actually do believe some of them are the same planes, too. That's like how many years old? Uh, They came. The first one came out in 1955. Yeah. 66 this year. That seems not right, but okay. But the, probably the most famous use of the U-2 planes was during the Cuban Missile Crisis. They were the ones that spotted missiles being offloaded in Cuba. Or at least I believe they spotted that there were soccer fields in Cuba. And Cubans don't play soccer, so there was some sort of relationship that they were watching. Yeah, it's really weird how they actually discovered it. Okay, yeah, these planes look pretty old school. I just yeah, googled they, it. They got a really long nose. The wings are really far back. Jet black. Yeah, the uh, wings we'll are really long too. Yeah. They look longer than they would have to be yeah. or not because they have to be aerodynamic and I know nothing yeah. about planes. Quick question. Why is U2 named after these planes? Do you know? I have no idea. Because it's just interesting because they have a lot of songs like that are about... anti-war more or less. Yeah, yeah. And they're named after this. Okay. But I mean, technically this is not a war plane. This is a reconnaissance plane. Like okay. this thing can't shoot. Okay. It's just and... spraying. 
and they still do i believe they are still in use and they are still used to collect information but they were proving of little use over the soviet union because on may 1st of 1960 a u-2 plane was shot down over the soviet union it's an absolute controversy and it's kind of hilarious to look at because the u.s's response is like what no that you you shot down a weather plane is what you shot down. <laughs> no, that was you not guys are crazy. Said. That's a weather plane. Is, is that seriously what they said? That's what they said. <laughs> I can't um, agree with them. So initially, the U.S. authorities acknowledged the incident as the loss of a civilian weather research aircraft operated by NASA. What the? F I'm sorry. But, I just had to be blunt here. Like I had to include that. What the I, fuck is wrong with these people? <laughs> I had to include that just because every time somebody says they see a ufo no you saw a weather balloon man you saw a weather balloon yeah that's the only response they had to things that were they were being caught on i think yeah that was for sure something to do with the weather but anyhow they were forced to admit the mission's true purpose when a few days later the soviet government produced the captured pilot and parts of the u2 <laughs> surveillance equipment including photographs of the soviet military bases that were taken during the mission Okay. So anyhow, this actually end up being a huge controversy. There were set to be some peace talks in 1960 in Paris. They were called off because the U.S. said they lost too much face in this encounter. They lost so much respect they couldn't do this to themselves. Like, we can't be peaceful because you guys shot down a spy plane of ours. Yeah, so now that we got caught and you know yeah. that it's not a weather plane. Yeah, and anyhow, the, uh, the pilot did survive. He was sentenced to three years in prison, seven years hard labor, and was traded back to the U.S. after two years served. Two but, years in Russia? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I don't know if you'd be treated well or not, because technically you're like a political prisoner. So I don't know yeah. if you want to like show them the highlights of the Soviet living, or you just want to, you know, beat the shit out of them. <laughs> I, can't imagine that it, I can't imagine that it would be good. I mean, you look through history, POWs are never very treated very well. Well, it's not really a POW, though. Spies aren't really POWs because they're not in a war. Well, they were in. Oh, was that not a war? It was never a declared war. But it was still a thing. It was still a thing. <laughs> True. Do you think he was treated like royalty? <laughs> maybe. I don't know. Plus, you know, they had all those crazy like mind control and other things being researched in the Soviet at this time. So that's probably oh, enough. Yeah. To but in oh, any event, the important thing that was learned from this is that if we're going to get reconnaissance info from the USSR, it's going to have to be higher than an airplane. And I do think this is what drove them to the next step. So in October 21 of 1959, Dwight D. Eisenhower, the current president at that time, approved the transfer of the Army's remaining space-related activities to NASA. And on July 1 of 1960, the Redstone Arsenal became NASA's George C. Marshall Space Flight Center with Von Braun as its first director. <gasps> he yep. was a Nazi, oh, he wasn't he? he was a Nazi. Yep. Most of them were. Yeah, all of the people who were involved in early NASA were Nazis pretty much because they had the rocket technology and they came over on Operation Paperclip. Yeah, which is Again, another an episode, episode. For a different day. Okay, I'm making a lot of notes right now. God, we might just have to have like a post-World War II Cold War lingo update episode. Are those but my what, what happened from this is they came out with what is known as the Corona Satellite. And you can read all about this. It has both its own Wikipedia page. Hold on. And... Is this foreshadowing? Well, this is just the next step. Okay. We're getting to where we're going. But it's called the Corona Satellite. Yeah. And it's because it's like sitting on the crown of Earth. Like Corona mm -hmm. means crown. Okay. I thought um... it meant like virus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I didn't have enough research to link these two things. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Continue. Do your own research. <laughs> Please don't. Please don't. <laughs> They, in the 60s, started putting the Corona satellites into space. These were specifically reconnaissance satellites. They were set up there with the sole purpose of taking pictures of places that they couldn't take pictures of from Earth. Okay. But you might ask, in the 60s, what kind of technology did they have to actually do this? There was no Wi-Fi. We had radio signals, I guess. But... Connections were weak right. they the best. I did ask this earlier. You did. Said how much could they be getting? Yes. And or something to the tune of this. Yeah. And the original Corona satellite 
had 12,000 feet of photographic film in it. It went up into space on its orbit, was programmed to take pictures at specific times and intervals as it orbited the Earth. Okay, that seems and about then, right for the time. And then it would drop its payload and a plane would pick it up. And it would okay. get developed at the Kodak Studios. Okay, I guess that makes sense. And they- you can actually, you can go on the U.S. Geological Services website. If you type in Corona Satellite USGS, you can find all the photos it took from, I believe, 1960 to like 1978. Okay, I'm on it. And they are all on there for geological research purposes to see if there's been changes to the land over the course of the last 60 years. They spied with this? They spied with this. Okay. I mean, it doesn't seem very good, but... It's the best they got at the time. Yeah. Yeah, they specifically had to, like, because there would be a time on there, and they just had to mathematically kind of check out where it would be in relation to where it was in its orbit to pinpoint where those pictures were taken. The original one had 12,000 feet of film. The second one had 300,000 feet of film on it, which is about 16 miles or about 35 kilometers of film on it. Okay. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. Like, how long was the time period? That they were in orbit? Well, sorry, they had many. I couldn't quite find specific information on all of them, just because this is kind of, I could have done more research, but I wanted to focus more on the things that come later. Oh, yeah, that is just a given. There are at least five of them, I believe six of them. And as time goes on, too, they actually did switch to digital as they got older and older. And of course, they didn't have to. Sorry, newer and newer technology. I mean, it's not the U2. They didn't have to put it up with that. Yeah. It's not the U2. So they went along as technology did. Yeah. And I'm just going to quote directly from the Geological Services website where they explain what the Corona's mission was. The first successful Corona mission was launched from Vanderburg Air Force Base in 1960. The satellite required photographs with a telescopic camera system and loaded the exposed film into recovery capsules. The capsules, or buckets, were deorbited and retrieved by aircrafts while the capsules parachuted to Earth. The exposed film was developed and the images were analyzed for a range of military applications. The intelligence community used keyhole designators to describe system characteristics and accomplishments. The Corona system was designated KH-1, KH-2, KH-3, KH-4, KH-4A, and KH-4B. The Argonne system used the designator KH-5, and the Lanyard system used KH-6. Mission numbers were a means for indexing the imagery and associated collateral data. A variety of camera systems were used in the satellites. Early systems KH-1, 2, 3, and 6 carried the single panoramic camera or a single frame camera. The later systems, KH-4, KH-4A, and KH-4B, carried two panoramic cameras with a separation angle of 30 degrees, with one camera looking forward and the other looking aft, which would be kind of on the horizon. Mm-hmm. The original film and technical mission-related documents are maintained by the National Archives and Records Administration, NARA. Duplicate film sources held in the USGS, Eros Center, Archive are used to produce digital copies of the imagery. Mathematical calculations based on the camera operation and satellite path were used to approximate coordinates. Since the accuracy of these coordinates vary, users should inspect and preview images to verify that the areas of interest is contained in the select frame. Okay. And as these things developed, they went from, I believe, where you could make out something and what it was, if it was at the beginning, about 100 feet in diameter or more. So like buildings. Yeah. And by the end of the Corona satellites, they could make out items that were three feet in diameter or or bigger. Wow. So that's getting close to about human sized. If you're looking at them from above. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say that by these images, but. And for a long time, other nations caught up. And there are many other areas that we could talk about as well with regards to classified different satellites. Can I just ask quickly what Sputnik did not take photos? Sputnik did not take photos. It gave off a radio signal. Okay. So was it spying with a radio signal? No, it was again... Sputnik and Juno were both just used for geological survey purposes. Right. You said that a lot. Okay. And the USSR definitely had spy satellites, but I didn't think it was necessary to really bring them up in just this kind of backstory of clandestine from space. Okay. I'm asking questions that are irrelevant. 
yeah. that we already talked about. Got but it. But where we're going to go from here, there are definitely other types of confidential satellites in space that wouldn't necessarily be considered spying satellites. For a long time, GPS satellites were considered classified information because really? they were used for only army purposes. The US Army put those up there and they actually maintain them. And it's been a cause of dispute going forward and how it's actually going to continue. Yes, I believe um, we talked about on that on one of our openings. I think you're thinking of Starlink. I think we talked but about it on one did. of our openings where they're opening it to privatization. Yeah, that sounds like the US. Yeah, I can't remember exactly because I wasn't okay. prepared for this, but I'm pretty sure we talked about it in an opening. Yeah. And space junk um, or something like that. Space junk is also an issue that we're not really talking about, but is always present, ever present, except at yeah. the beginning, where there was nothing yeah. up there. Yeah. There is also like the proposed Star Wars satellite array that was going to protect the world from missiles that are uh, intercontinental because they have to fly from a certain height. And they were going to shoot them with the lasers from the Star Wars satellites. That was Reagan's idea. Really? Yeah. And oh, then there's right, yeah. obviously other classified satellites that are up there that we know nothing about, but they are up there. We do technically know where they are, but I'm going to save that for the end. We're going to skip ahead to about the 90s, and we're going to talk about something called the X five minutes after I get myself a drink, and we can have some fun with this topic. After we said Twitch waits for nobody, mm -hmm. we make Twitch we waits pause. for us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm very excited to hear about this X something. Yeah, so we're skipping ahead to about the mid 90s when NASA and the Air Force both approached Boeing to create a self-propelled orbiting test vehicle. What they came out with was something called the X-37. There is general information available online about what it is, but what it actually does is heavily classified. Okay. What it is, the Boeing X-37 is also known as the orbital test Boeing. Yeah. Okay. And there appear to be several versions of it. There's the X-37A, B, and C. We're going to focus mainly on X-37B, which I believe there are also two different versions of. Hmm. So it is a reusable, uncrewed spacecraft, and it is boosted into space by a launch vehicle, then re-enters Earth's atmosphere and lands as a space plane. The X-37 is operated by the United States Air Force. Sorry, I should say was for orbital spaceflight missions intended to demonstrate oh. reusable space technologies. This looks like just the regular space it ship? looks a lot like the Discovery spaceship. Okay. It, it does familiar, a lot, but there's a lot to more to it. Yeah. Okay. So the X-37 began as the NASA project in 1999 before being transferred to the U.S. Department of Defense in 2004. Its first flight was during a drop test in 2006. There have been six X-37 orbital missions since then. What happens on these missions? Nobody knows except for what they allow out in very limited circumstances. All we know is the date it leaves and the day it arrives back. Okay. Most of the activities on the X-37B project are secret, and the official U.S. Air Force statement on this is that the project is, quote, an experimental test program to demonstrate technologies for a reliable, reusable, uncrewed space test platform for the U.S. Air Force, unquote. Okay, that's very vague. Yes. The primary objectives of X-37B are twofold, reusable spacecraft technology and operating experiments, which can be returned to Earth. The Air Force states that this includes testing avionics, flight systems, guidance and navigation, thermal protection, insulation, propulsion and reentry systems. So basically they're just testing an aircraft. Possibly. Gather from that. But so I don't, this is run by the government. This is run no, and this is this started off as a NASA project, was moved to the Air Force as of I believe 2020 or 2019, was moved to Space Force. The space wing well, of the military. The did the am I correcting saying the military is yeah. private privatized it? No, this is like still um, okay. No, this is a new wing of the military that was created under Trump. Space Force. It is the fourth arm of the military or the Department of Defense, which is interesting. Also, okay. an incorrect name. It should go back to its old name, the Department of War, because that's what it is. Mm -hmm. And I am going to run through just very quickly the tests that we know about and it just becomes a little bit clear 
as is going on that there are two X-37Bs. So the first one is in the first X-37B on April 22nd, 2010, and it arrived back on December 3rd, 2010. It spent 224 days, nine hours and 24 minutes in space. Its second flight left March 5th, 2011 and returned June 16th, 2012. It spent a total of 468 days in space, 14 hours and two minutes. And that mm -hmm. was the second X-37B. And people have actually, there, it's never been confirmed that there's two. It's merely that people have seen it launching and landing and they see subtle differences and believe there's two X-37Bs. Okay, I can get behind that. There's people who really like looking at mm -hmm. things like that. The next flight left on December 11th, 2012 and returned October 17th, 2014. What? It spent 674 days, 22 hours, and 21 minutes in space. Okay. The this next is, flight. Is it just me or is this longer than like any official mission? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it is. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't making it up. The next one left May 20th, 2015 and returned May 7th, 2017. It spent a total of 717 days, 20 hours and 42 minutes in space. This is like over two years. What the frick is it doing? The most recent returned mission left on September 7th, 2017 and returned October 27th, 2019 for a grand total of 779 days and 17 hours and 51 minutes in space. Can I just... I don't mean to derail everything, anything here, but I just have a quick question uh, before I lose it. I should be making notes here. Does the public not have a right to inquire about this because it's taxpayer money? No, this would be marked classified. Okay, but we're still, sorry, we are not. They are still paying. It. I am they in Canada. And but... we still do pay for classified information or classified subjects in Canada as well. That, would be, uh, that, that would be for national security that they would be protecting this. I guess so, which we see in things with like UFOs and stuff and why mm. they don't. And I can get behind that, I guess. But mm. like, what are they doing with that? It's not my money, but I still want to know what they're doing. Yeah. And the most recent mission left on May 17th, 2020. And it wow. has not returned yet. What? What is it? It's out there right now. Yeah. We need a remote viewer. No, we can actually, well, we can't see what's going on, but I will get into tracking it later on. Okay. And it actually was quite interesting to do. But yeah, so this thing is going up. It is quote unquote a man. Well, I shouldn't say quote unquote. It is described as a manless mission. So there is nobody on board. Really? Nobody yeah. mans it? I guess. Yeah. Well, when they're gone for that long, I guess. And when you actually learn a bit more about it as well, it makes sense. Like this thing is only 30 feet long. I actually it, just Googled yeah. it. So and I'm I was going to show you the picture here that I have. You can show me this. One I'm looking... Here. I'm looking at like a, a height chart of oh, all okay. the rockets and the space shuttle is actually like triple the size of it. So that's how big it is. That's tiny. Yeah. That's like human. You could, you couldn't even fit a human in I there. I mean, you could you? fit a not single human in there. Not and for it's two not years. That, yeah. That human is not living in space for 700 days. Yeah. And then I just actually looked at a size comparison between a space shuttle and that. And it's like yeah. a space shuttle's like triple the size of the X-37B. It's crazy how easy it is to find a picture of this thing, considering like how top secret it is. And the fact that once it's in space, they won't tell you anything about it. Yeah, I want to know. Kate, tell me more. So there are a few different theories about what is going on on this rocket, this space plane, if you will. Space vessel. Let's call it a space vessel. Okay. Or uh, we could call it an identified aerial phenomenon. I well, if you saw it, you might not know it was identified. Okay. Yeah. Right. But first and foremost, there is the absolute mundane answer which is, it is just a research laboratory where they're testing the wear and tear of different space-related objects in space so that they can bring them back and study them. No, I do this not accept this. is, like one of them, Air Force Research Laboratory. And it is no. the studying of the heat dispersal of this copper vent, more or less, and how, how easily it vents out heat in space. No, there's no way. It's been going for two or three years at a time and it, no that's okay. not a thing i don't accept that one well there is that? the next answer then what do you think about that one i mean it does make sense but at the same time that is exactly what the iss is for 
is for experimentation yes. in space. But at the same time, the ISS, very importantly, the I stands for international, ISS being the International Space Station. Mm -hmm. Therefore, if you wanted to test national defense items, you can't do it there. You can't necessarily do it. You're going to give up your secrets. Yes. And it is kind of odd that the U.S. doesn't have its own American space station because like there's a Chinese and a European space station. Really? Well, there is definitely a Chinese one. I'd have to actually check to make sure on the European one. Editor's note, there are in fact only two space stations orbiting planet Earth, the ISS International Space Station and Tiangong 2, Tiangong meaning sky or heavenly palace in Mandarin. There is no European space station. I had no idea about all this stuff. Okay, my question about this is, obviously you need to test things that are going up and down in space. My first issue with it is number one, they've privatized space. So why is now the military having, you know, doing this? Obviously it's for reasons which are not being able to be shared with the public. Second well, problem- and also, also importantly, remember it's a Boeing aircraft. Yes. Second, what was my second problem that I had with that? It seems too mundane of an answer. Yeah. I mean, obviously, they're, here's my second one. Obviously, they're going to have to be testing things as you do with things like this, especially if they're being purposed for something like long space missions, which brings you, I guess, to another thing if they're gone for two or three years at a time. But why are they gone for two or three years at a time if they're just testing wear and tear and stuff like that? Why would you have to be in space for a prolonged amount of time? Well, that does bring in very good questions. One of them being the ISS. The <laughs> ISS has been in space for years and years and years. Mm -hmm. I mean, technically not really in space. The question of where is space is it's really hard to answer. Even what is space other than the whole idea of a concept of a vacuumness nothing. Don't even start this or else I'm never going to sleep tonight. <laughs> but okay. okay, so good. I brought up <laughs> good points. Uh, also, but the next answer would also be like, eventually we do have plans to go to Mars to go further into the solar system. Okay. And, and possibly return from there. So we would okay. want something that can last for a longer period of time. Okay. That also yeah. does the question. It, it is only an orbital vehicle. Like it doesn't go that much further. So how much are you actually testing? Is it, you're not is it that it's long. only orbiting? Oh yeah. It's orbital test vehicle. So it is only ever orbiting. Can we confirm that it's only orbiting? Or is that just I would what have they're to saying? Check the sources. I believe it would be confirmed. That's what they're saying. Okay. They're saying that it's they're saying okay. it's just orbital. They describe it as an orbital test vehicle. There is some third party agreement that it's an orbital vehicle. Okay. Interesting. Okay, so okay. Continue. Those are my okay. major questions. Yeah. The next one that comes up a lot is that it's likely for spy satellite deployment. Okay, that was going to be my next trail of thought. So. so some space researchers believe the vehicle was used to launch three CubeSats that were not registered in international tracking databases. The secret deployment of multiple small satellites raises additional questions about the missions of the X-37B. Stated the annual Global Counter Space Capabilities Report released by the Secure World Foundation in March suggests that the X-37B may have a mission to serve as a covert satellite deployment platform. The secrecy surrounding both the X-37B and the deployment may indicate they are part of a covert intelligence program, but it may also indicate the testing of offensive technologies or capabilities. Okay, that one seems the most logical to me at this point from the information I've been given. Yeah, and especially, I think the most important thing to know, once you get something into orbit, it's not that hard to figure out where it's going to be all the time. Like there's not a lot of satellites in space that can change their orbit. Except yeah. of course the Black Knight satellite, but that's a whole other story for oh, another day. Okay. <laughs> and on that train of thought, also UFOs. Um, just, that, just so that we get it in there. Okay. There is theories out there that it may be for extraterrestrial communications. That is probably the most far out there answer that you'll get. And also why would we be sending an unmanned craft to communicate with aliens? Because humans aren't good for that. Maybe they are robots and they'll only talk to robots. Yeah. I, they I talk just, in a robot voice. 
voice. I yeah, I don't know that I would send a human to make contact to be completely honest with you, but that's just me. So there's a theory it's putting out more spy satellites. It is deploying spy satellites because if you can deploy them from a rocket that is in orbit for over two years, unless you're watching that thing the entire time, you have no idea where it's dropping that satellite. But I feel like if you're putting something out into orbit, yeah, that you're very tight lipped about what it's doing that somebody is watching it full time. Yeah, you'd think this thing that can maneuver somewhat in space. It's not like it's just this. Oh, because again, okay. it's a space plane. It can maneuver somewhat. So you're not just stuck in an orbit too. Okay. It's uh, doing there, something for sure. There is also a theory that it is testing offensive capabilities and that either it has weapons on it or it can be used for the clandestine removal of other satellites it doesn't want up there. Look at the size of it, though. Unless it yeah, has lasers. Do you, do you know how large the average satellite is? They're not big. 23 inches? Well, the Sputnik was a small one, but they're not exactly huge. And it isn't a crazy idea to say that it in that area, area it has something in there that would be able to disable a satellite okay i guess you wouldn't even technically need much because like a mass ejection from the sun can take them out you just need to be able to hit the right frequencies oh, yeah I didn't even think about that okay i mean this it wouldn't from an be article. unheard of i mean yeah. that's spy purposes so enough reason to not say anything what about is doing it. up there is there like an agreement between countries if you're fighting a spy plane against the spy satellite that you just don't talk about it or is there a thing where a country's like hey you're a spy plane just took out my spy satellite and um, they just call them out i mean you could watch the show space force on netflix for further information on this subject but i assume that it would just be kind of a gentleman's agreement that they don't talk about it Okay, I would assume that too, but I just thought I'd check. And from an article that came out in 2005, I found this very interesting. It's just a little excerpt. From the Pentagon's point of view, a craft such as the X-37B may be the harbinger of things to come a Johnny-on-the-spot weapons platform to take out the satellite assets of an enemy de jour, enemy of the day, or as launch vehicles that can deliver bombs, missiles, or kinetic weapons anywhere on Earth in less than two hours. What Air Force WAGs refer to as operationally responsive space. Prior to launch, Air Force Deputy Undersecretary of Space Programs, Gary Payton, ridiculed speculation that the X-37B is the prototype for a new space-based weapon system. Payton told reporters, quote, I don't know how this could be called a weaponization of space fundamentally it's just an updated version of the space shuttle kinds of activities in space i mean that was coming yeah they're gonna weaponize yeah. space so i guess that's the most logical way to go there Why? are also many grounded in fact ideas of what this thing is doing on the x-37's wikipedia page I just on my gut feeling here, I feel like that's probably the most logical way to go. Now, my next question is, and I have a feeling that you're not at all prepared for it, but it's just a question that comes up for me is why privatize space? Is it so that they have more resources to focus on something like this? Well, what, do you, what do you mean by privatize space? Well, they're not privatizing space. So they're allowing it to be privatized, like going up into space. Yeah, that Maybe whole I thing put that is, wrong. Yeah, I understand where you're coming from, like the whole idea of Bezos and everybody making yeah. space their fun little quirky hobby. Yeah. Yeah, that is just so a So is weird... that maybe to open it up for them to put more money into something like this? No, that's a different thing entirely. It's a libertarian's dream that strong men do what needs to be done and are driving forces behind great technological breakthroughs. The stupid thing is, is that Elon Musk's not Project Blue, SpaceX, fundamentally where they came from is just taking patents from NASA. Oh. That they weren't using technically because they didn't have the funds. Well, that so didn't take yeah. a chance. Yeah, he is overblown in how smart he is. He is this generation's Thomas Edison, I would say. Not quite as smart as Edison, but he's Thomas Edison of this generation. Okay, so that was my first question. The second one is with all oh, the... sorry, and there there is another bit of an answer too as well. Okay. This gets into something called space law a bit, and that is that there is a... Law. Yeah, there is, and it's a general agreement between all countries that no country can own space. Yes, I, I knew the, that space yes, law, actually, that, and I'm yeah. not a lawyer. That does not really talk about people going up there and colonizing or putting indentured servants on a new planet. 
that for they have mining, to, maybe? for mining purposes or for roping in and harvesting an asteroid worth 400 quadrillion dollars. Wow. So uh, that's part of the reason that I think that the U.S. is privatizing it so much. Okay, that answers that question. Second one is, what if people go up into space that are doing these like very expensive space flights and see the X-37B up there? It's very unlikely. It would kind of be like being out on a raft in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Okay, I guess and, it would be like that, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah, and <laughs> seeing the whale that inspired Moby Dick swimming below you. Mm -hmm. Okay, gotcha. That's good clarification. Okay, good. Because I um, thought the odds would be high, but apparently it's not. It is very low. Okay. I mean, technically, there is a thinner band of areas that can maintain long-term orbits, but this thing isn't orbiting long-term. It's staying up there for two or three years at most. Yeah. So it's okay if it's on a decaying or an unstable orbit. That, to me, seems like a long time. Yeah, but, but that's not necessarily okay. a long time. Okay, not long for okay. orbit life. Okay. So there are a few different ideas of what it could be doing out there outside of that. In October of 2014, The Guardian reported that the claims of security experts regarding the x 37 be it was being used to quote test reconnaissance and spy sensors particularly how they hold up against radiation and other hazards of orbit from the sun uh from a lot of things because the van allen belt basically protects earth from a lot of radiation so you'd be worried about that you'd be worried about debris just kind of in that area as well okay. um, there, there's a whole bunch of perils in space okay in november of 2016 the international business times speculated that the u.s government was testing a version of the m drive electric electromagnetic microwave thruster on the fourth flight of the X-37B. In 2009, an M-Drive technology transfer contract with Boeing was undertaken via a State Department TAA and UK export license. Boeing has since stated that it is no longer pursuing this area of research, and the US Air Force has stated that the X-37B is testing a hull effect thruster system of aeroject rocket dyne. What? Yeah, there's a whole bunch of funny words basically saying that they're testing a new way of propelling you through space. Okay. In I just July, don't feel like you would be up there for so long to test that. If it is a return flight, you really do want to make sure that it does work for a long time. Okay. Especially you might turn it on and turn it off in space several times. Okay. And again, we never know if the research is going as planned or the experiment is going as planned. Like for all we know, it like breaks down for half the time it's up there. But... Is there any like talk of anything going on with it? Like people having to go repair it or anything? Nobody really talks about it outside okay. of when it takes off and when it lands. Okay, and, so it uh, could be. It could be. And the last thing I just find this really interesting is that the Chinese space program has since September 6th of 2020 been using a reusable winged space plane as well. It is very similar in size and shape to the X-37B. What? Yeah, it is roughly 48,000 pounds and 29 feet long. So just like a foot or two shorter than the X-37. What's it doing? They don't say. Uh, China would never say. No, China doesn't say at all. It's just been like kind of figured out by everybody else. What? Are, is it going up for as long? Does it, do we know? No, I don't know anything about that one. That's the most I could find on that. What? But um, that does not surprise me. What the hell? Yeah, that's about all I could find from official standpoints. I did find an interesting little back and forth on Reddit about specifically X37B, and it was a video I was watching. And somebody said, it wouldn't surprise me at all to find that they had been stress testing pilots to see how long they can actually stay up there without running out of food error time that thing's uh, so tiny though i know and that's what this you would go into. crazy yeah so the response here is like that's what the iss is for civilian astronauts already have demonstrated endurance in excess of a year which is longer than any useful military deployment the yeah. x-37 is tiny and given its quoted on-orbit trajectory and speed, most of the X-37 consists of fuel tanks. There was a planned manned version, but even for Soyuz like Sardine, can only capable of holding a crew for less than a week, it would have been almost double in size. Yeah. Since we already know how to maintain satellites for decades in space, what we don't know very well is how they react as being in space, especially not when it comes to new untested materials, carbon composites, nanomaterials, etc. The X-37 selling point is that it can return these things back to Earth after a few long exposures so we can study them better. The U.S. Air Force has confirmed at least one such test and it follows similar shuttle missions like STS-29R, 32, and 59. So he just says it's a very mundane thing to study things that need to be confirmed wear and tear. 
I mean, I agree with. And I forgot to write the Redditor's name. It was from several years ago. So uh, it did put it in a way that kind of makes a lot of sense that it is just a mundane thing. But at the same time, like the potential that you can do up in space when nobody's really watching hmm. does lead to questions, at least. To... Well, it does not seem like anybody is watching. Well, yeah. China might be watching because they have the same thing up there and they're probably sent yeah. it up so that they could watch what they're doing. To, it's um... not to put somebody up there for sure. We can roll that out but um that's all the info i have on the x37b i want more answers than like that. most of it is speculation but i can let you know that we do generally know at least where it is in space and that is thanks to a group and it's not even a real group it is something known as amateur astronomers amateur astronomers have been since the mid 1990s tracking everything in space including yeah. Satellites that te are technically supposed to be there and the X-37. So just That's to give you a cool. little quote, it's very interesting. In the mid-1990s, satellite sleuths began to use small telescopes to find and track secret objects orbiting Earth at geosynchronous altitudes, about 22,236 miles above the equator, where satellites match the speed of Earth's rotation. By 2010, the efforts of the Amateurs and Professional International Scientific Optical Network had resulted in the identification of every single large object known to have launched into a secret geosynchronous orbit since 1968. In 2006, amateurs began to track satellites in secret orbits by measuring and analyzing the Doppler shift of their radio signals or changes in the frequency of the radio waves caused by the relative motion of the observer and the satellite. These are people in cool. their backyard. That's pretty cool. And today, this potent technique is a key tool in the amateur kit. Amateurs contribute to public knowledge by tracking objects in secret orbits. They provide independent information on the activities of governments in orbit and expose the practical limits to the secrecy. Now, amateur interest is not limited to secret satellites. At this point, amateur satellites have a list of eyes on assists from citizen satellite trackers. In 2011, Russia sought the assistance of amateurs to track its ill-fated Phobos grunt mission during the spacecraft's planned burn to escape Earth orbit, after which huh. it crashed into the Pacific Ocean. When the probe became stuck in low Earth orbit after launching on what was supposed to be a mission to retrieve a soil sample from Mars's moon Phobos, satellite trackers Theory Legault obtained high-resolution video imagery of the stranded spacecraft with useful information on its orientation. Amateur orbit analysis revealed a series of unusual maneuvers by the doomed spacecraft that could potentially have aided in determining the cause of the failure. And in 2015, radio and optical tracking by amateurs assisted the Planetary Society to track its light sail satellite. Currently, amateurs are heeding the call of professional astronomers for data on the brightness of SpaceX's Starlink satellites to determine their potential to ruin imagery obtained by Earth-based telescopes. For example, Ralph Vandenberg, a Dutch astronomer, professional photographer, and veteran satellite spotter, has dedicated considerable time to monitoring the growing Starlink constellation. So there is <laughs> an avid group of astronomers in their backyard tracking everything that goes up into space and where it is. And you can actually look. When I was doing some research, I found on Reddit, there were people posting when it would be flying over their province or state. What? That's so yeah, cool. So that you can check it out with your telescope. Yeah, that's so cool. So despite the fact that the governments have been very secretive about all this, we at least can confirm where things are and what things should not be seen in the night sky. And specifically, if cool. you can tie that to rocket launches and with the fact that we do know pretty much everything mm -hmm. that is registered in space, you can yeah. find these things very easily, at least yeah. if you're trained to do it and part of that group. Yeah, well, it seems even, I mean, they always post when the ISS is going over, and I've seen that go over. Yeah. If you look, you can tell when a satellite is supposed to go over where you are, and you can only yeah. see. Yeah, or if you see a satellite, you can usually go online and see what satellites are flying over you at that Well, time. now I'm interested. Have I ever seen the X-37B and just didn't look it up, and, it, and I, I just thought it was a satellite? I mean, you might have, but again, that's that same drop of water in the ocean thing. Like, there are so many satellites out there there is a chance yeah let me have this <laughs> okay but that's where i leave this story off today with i think more questions than you came in with because you didn't even know what the x37 was your only question was what's the x37 
So now it's there's like so a, many more questions. Now it's like an itch I can't scratch. I just want to know what's it doing? What's it doing? It's still up there. It's still up there right now. Yeah. What's it doing right now? And everything I found focused on the X37B, despite the fact I did see references that there are X37As and Cs. Yeah, I, I don't saw have it. any idea about those. When I just did a quick Google, it brought up the size proportion to a yeah. space shuttle. And the X37C is a little bit bigger than the B. And there was so the X40, but that was more so just for testing its landing capabilities. That is a separate thing entirely that never went into space. But yeah, that's what we have. If we ever get an update on this, I will be sure that we post it a month or two Six after we learn later. about it. Yeah. yeah. So um, you may or may not hear it somewhere else first. But you will eventually hear it from us. Yeah. <laughs> but in the meantime, if you have any stories that you would like to share with us about clandestine satellites spying in space, let us know. Because this Hello. is where this one leads off. And I just covered a fraction of what could have been covered by this. Yeah, we're open to communication. So communicate with us. But in the meantime, I have been Taylor here with Chelsea. Your I have been beloved, Chelsea. She has been Chelsea. I have confirmed that watching her this whole time. She has not changed. I am not a secret spy satellite. What a twist. Anyhow, <laughs> we have not talked about next week's episode at this point. But thank you for joining us, and we will see you next week. We have talked about next week's episode. Oh, no, we have. <laughs> see you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Journey to the Fringe. We are a new podcast, and we would very much so appreciate if you could like, subscribe, share and if possible provide a five-star review or some sort of feedback if you feel like there's anything we could be doing better but five-star review is the best thing you can do for us as it does help unfortunately in the world of algorithms yes please and thank you and you can follow us on social media at journey to the fringe we don't have all of them, so try searching it. Instagram, we're on Facebook. Right now, we have a subreddit. And if there's anything you want to hear in the future, you can email us at journeytothefringe at gmail.com. If there's something we're missing that you'd like to see us on, please let us know. We only know what we know, so we're only and in so many places. Also, if you feel that we have gotten anything wrong, please let us know there as well, as we would really like to have the best information possible. We are mm -hmm. only as good as our research, and if you can provide anything further, it's a real help. Or if you want to share anything, we're open to shares. Please follow us if you were entertained or just want to hate us a little more with your ears. We take hate listens too. We do. We're not picky. We're not picky. But either listen way, to, please give us, us a follow. Yeah, Listen to us for whatever reasons you may have. You don't have to tell us, but you can if you want. So yes, thank you for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.